morning. Okay, we are still in Matthew. We are really close to being done. We're winding it down here. Um, but we are stu- we've been in chapter 28. I've enjoyed this book, and we've been in it for over, over um, two years. I almost said ten years. That would be a really long book. I've uh, been in it over two years. Our next book we're going to be starting into when we finish this will be First and Second Samuel. Um, but anyway, so today I'm going to get us uh, moving here a little bit. And last week, Pastor Nate covered the resurrection, uh, according to Matthew. And this is Matthew's version of the resurrection. This week, uh, we're going to look at the resurrection from John's perspective. And the reason is, is uh, there's, there's some differences that are important that we really need to look at. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at those things. And I think you'll be surprised at some of the things that, that Matthew didn't record. Now, I want you to understand something. Um, he wrote exactly what God inspired him to write. Okay, so he didn't forget or he didn't, you know, mess up. That's why God gave us, you know, four gospel writers so there could be different perspectives of the same stories. Um, and you just have to remember, I mean, Matthew wasn't, you know, omnipresent. He can't be everywhere like God. So uh, God used four different writers to give us four different perspectives. So, um, but we're going to look at John's account today. Uh, now, the message is titled Eyes of Faith. And the message is not just about the resurrection. It's also about our focus. And one thing we'll see today is that when we're hurting or struggling or something happens that kind of shocks us a little bit, it's easy to get self-absorbed. Now, if you're honest, if you notice that when things are going wrong, it becomes all about you? Anybody notice that? You know, and, and when you get that way, the more you focus on yourself, the harder it is to see God. The harder it is to see what God wants for you. So if you want to see God moving, you need to rely on your eyes of faith. So let's jump in today. Uh, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came uh, early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> the other disciple whom Jesus loved and who wrote this uh, and said to them, <laughs> They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciples went forth, and they were going to the tomb. So now John says Mary went to the tomb and found these things, right? But all the other gospel writers clear it up that, that this is that same faithful group. It wasn't just Mary. This is that same faithful group of women we discussed two weeks ago. Remember that? There was this group of women that followed Jesus through everything. None of them ran when he was arrested. None of them ran during his trial. They followed him through everything. This is that same group. Matthew, I mean, uh, John just only mentioned Mary, so they clarified that. But the cool thing is, is these women who were so faithful, and these women who so tirelessly served him, right? They were the first on the scene at the tomb. They were the first ones to get to see this, to get to experience this. But when they, when they got there, what they found, I mean, it kind of it shocked them a little bit, right? It kind of shocked them, and, and it, and it kind of terrified them a little bit when they got there, right? Because when they got there, they found out that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and the body of Jesus wasn't there. Okay, the body of Jesus wasn't there. It was missing. So they ran to tell the disciples what they found. Now, it's kind of strange because you notice, and you'll see this as we continue to read on too, it doesn't seem that they ever even considered that he might have been resurrected. They never even considered that. As soon as they look into the tomb and see that he isn't there, they're like, what happened? And they run to tell the disciples that something's happened to the body 
of Christ. Now you would think, you would think that as many times as Jesus said, they're going to take my life and I'm going to be buried and I'll, and I'll rise again. You would think that that would have been the first thing that, that came to her mind, but it wasn't. If you look in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, or going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, talking about the Romans, to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day, what? He will be raised up. So you would think, the first thing they would think is, just like he said, right? He was resurrected. But sadly, most of his followers didn't completely understand what he was teaching about the resurrection. They, they just didn't completely grasp that yet. And if you think about it, it really makes sense. Because most of them were uneducated, many of them were uneducated, and the ones that weren't uneducated were definitely indoctrinated by the Jews. Okay? And to say that the Jews were doctrinally confused is an understatement. Okay? You've seen how the chief priests and all the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you could see how far they had drifted from the truth. So they were being taught by these people, right? And so they were so confused. Like, for instance, the Pharisees believed that there was going to be a resurrection. And they believed in angels, and they believed in a lot of the supernatural things about the Word of God. But the Sadducees didn't believe in any of that. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a resurrection. I mean... And it's not like this was some splinter group. Those two groups ruled the Jewish people, right? So, I mean, think about this. They had two groups in their leadership that didn't even agree, okay? So there was a lot of confusion about what was going to happen in the future and about what God wanted from them. So it doesn't, it doesn't shock me that they were a little bit confused. And that may have been why their first thought, they just reverted back and thought his body was stolen. You know, I mean, they weren't taught good doctrine their whole lives. They were thinking his body was stolen. Uh, now, I, you know, I think that's, to me, it's strange, but you have to remember, what you're raised with is tough to get rid of. Anybody ever been taught something growing up, and you know it's wrong, and it's just hard to get it out of your head? Anybody ever done that? And, you know, I mean, when I first got saved, I'll be honest with you, I believed a lot of stuff I could not prove that did not make sense, and I couldn't get it out of my head. You know, I mean, the, where, I, where we went to church was a little judgmental, and I'm saying that a little facetiously it was very judgmental right and so i would see certain things and i would think well they can't be a christian then i'd go stop that's not what the bible says you know it's the same thing they had so much bad doctrine in their head it kind of makes sense so they just didn't actually know what happened so immediately they decide just to let's go tell the disciples what happened right let's just go tell them what happened now when they get there right as soon as they get there they just start spilling their guts right? Let's look at this. John 24 through 7. So they'd already gone and told him this, right? And it says the, the two were running together and the other disciple, listen to this. John wrote this. And the other disciple, so we know this is Peter and John they're talking to. He says, <laughs> the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. <laughs> oh my gosh. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter came also following him, like the guy that I beat to the tomb, right? Following him, and he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself, so it was folded up. 
First of all, I don't know why John is such a relentless self-promoter here. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. He wants everybody to know that him and Jesus are tied. He mentions it time and time again, the disciple that Jesus loved. And now he's saying, oh yeah, and by the way, I outran, you know, Peter. But he, you know, he didn't go in. But some people say he was in terrible shape and he was about to stroke out when he got there. I don't know. But I know that he didn't go in. He did outrun him, but he, you know, he didn't go in. But, you know, here's the thing. He may have gotten there first, but Peter wins the prize for boldness. You know how Peter is. He gets there and boom, he's straight into the tomb. He wants to see what's going on, right? Now, what Peter saw in there was actually, if you think about it, evidence that Jesus' body was not stolen, right? And I, and I say that because what he found, he found the wrappings that were around Jesus' body. Remember we talked about those? They put the spices inside the wrappings and wrapped the body up tight, right? He found those wrappings, and then he finds the face cloth folded up neatly, right? And he looks at that scene, and he starts thinking to himself, wait, this does not look like a crime scene, right? So put your CSI thing on here for a second. This does not look like a crime scene. And I'm an expert because I have spent years watching forensic files <laughs> and CSI Miami because Horatio is awesome. And happens to have red hair. Coincidence. But my years of forensic files and CSI Miami training have taught me to be, you know, a student, to look at things. So think about it. If this were a thief, right, would he take the time to fold laundry? Would he? Now think about this for a second. Any thief that knew the Romans, and anyone alive at that time knew the Romans and knew about the Romans, Right? Anyone that knew them and knew what they were like would know how dangerous this little mission would be. Right? And they would have tried to get in and get out as quickly and quietly as possible. He wouldn't go, wait, hold on a second. They wouldn't do that. They'd be like, throw it off, right? Because they would want to get out of there as quickly as they could. The other thing is, if there was a thief, if the body were stolen, they would have had to have been a superhero. They would have had to have been a superhero because they would have had to sneak by trained guards like a Jewish ninja without being heard, take a two to four thousand pound stone and roll it uphill with the guards right there and not noticing. Okay, they'd had to been able to do that. Then they would remove all the burial wrappings and the face cloth and fold it. You know, here's the thing that's creepy, and I just got to mention this. Why would they take all that stuff off? Why would you steal a naked body? Why would you? They could have took him with all the wrappings. So, ooh, I mean, you know what I'm saying? They did steal him. But so they take off all the wrappings and they take off the face cloth and, and, they, and they fold it neatly for some unknown reason. Right? And then they carry the body past the same train guards that they moved a 4,000-pound stone and got away with without being seen and take off of the body and get away with it. So, I mean, it made it pretty clear when he saw this folded face cloth. And I'm sure Peter, being smart, looks at the whole situation and goes, this isn't a crime scene. The body was not stolen. Because I think that, that folded up face cloth was kind of like a message that Jesus left him. That was his way of saying, no one's taken my body. I have fulfilled the prophecy and I've been resurrected. That was kind of a calling card, if you will, that... 
Yeah, I took the time because time has no meaning to me. They weren't going to catch me. I left this tomb, right? So I think that is really, really awesome. Now let's move on. John 20, starting in verse 8. It says, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, let it go, man. Right? So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed, which tells us that that made them believe when they saw that evidence. Uh, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own houses. So John finally goes in. He sees that Peter survives it. And see, the Jews were very spooky about dead bodies. It made you unclean. So a lot, of, a lot of people would have been a little hesitant about going into that tomb. But he finally goes in. He sees that, you know, that, that Peter made it. So he goes into the tomb. He sees the same things that Peter saw. And, he, and it says that he believed. Right? And now he understood. Right? And here's the thing. Imagine all the things that started making sense to them all of a sudden. Because Jesus was constantly quoting these Old Testament prophecies about he had to, you know, be killed and he had to rise again. And now all of a sudden, they got to see evidence of that. Now those Old Testament prophecies started making sense to them. The things they didn't completely understand started making sense to them, right? And so now they didn't just have all the prophecies and the promises that they had heard that they knew about. Now they had physical evidence in front of them, and now they believed all of it. And I know that sounds bad, but you have to be honest. They had heard all these things he was saying, but did they completely believe it? I don't know that they did. I mean, they didn't understand but understand it, but I don't know that they completely believed it either, right? But when they saw this, this made them believe, and, and they went home. But if you notice something, like these disciples, you know, we can know the Word of God, okay? And I've known a lot of people who were born and raised in church, and they know what the Bible says. We can know the Word of God, but not really believe it's true for us. You know, and that happens to a lot of people. I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but it does happen because it sounds good when we read it, right? When we read it and talk about it in Bible study or read it and talk about it with our friends, it sounds good and it kind of fires you up a little bit, right? And, and we sing about it. And how many people are moved when you're singing about the Word of God? When they sing these praise songs, I, is it, am I the only one that gets moved? You know, the, the Word moves you. So we sing about it, we study it, we read it, and, and we like what it says, We like what it says, but the first time struggles start to hit, the first time we're challenged by the enemy or just by the world in general, we forget all about it. We forget about those promises. We forget about all the things that he's written to help us get through these struggles. We just kind of forget about all of it because we never really read it believing it was true for us. Have you ever done that? You know, this made me think, right? And, and why do we do that? Sadly, because we're just, we're just fallen people, right? We are imperfect people. That's why we need Jesus, right? I mean, we, we're imperfect people. I mean, John and Peter, I mean, they had seen all the miracles and wonders that Jesus performed. That's why it seems tough for me, because you look and, I mean, they had watched a man walk on water, calm a storm by saying, be still. They had seen him feed thousands You know, when you read about the feeding 5,000, remember, that's just talking about men. That's not talking about women and children. They had a bustle of them, right? So it was probably, some people say, in the 20,000 range with five loaves and a few fish. Fed all of them. They saw that. They saw him raise a dead man. Lazarus was dead, and on the fourth day being dead, that's when they start stinking. 
That's what they even said. Lord, surely by now he stinks. Don't open that tomb. They're like, we love Lazarus. We want him to come back. I'm going to open the tomb. Don't do that. He probably stinks. It was the fourth day. They got to see him raise a stinking dead man. Sorry, I had to throw that in. Anyway, they got to see that. He healed the blind, the lame, the sick. Yet, when he said, they are going to try me, find me guilty, hand me over to the Gentiles, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to defeat that grave, they just couldn't buy that. They couldn't comprehend that, right? So it's just our fallen nature sometimes to doubt. It's just, it's just our fallen nature. Now, they had believed for their eternal life. They just didn't believe that all these promises necessarily didn't understand them, so they just kind of walked past them and thought, well, you know, maybe it's not for me, right? And all of us kind of do that because there is a darkness living in all of us. Everybody, believer, non-believer, there is a darkness living in all of us, and that darkness has a name, and that name is doubt. All of us have doubt in us. I've had people tell me before, I've been saved 30 years and I've never doubted God. And I'm like, then you have been a liar for 30 years. Because we are human. You know, if Peter had doubt, I'm going to assume maybe you do. Right? That, that darkness living in us is, is called doubt. And the enemy knows it's there. And so he does everything he can to nurture that doubt. I mean, you can choose the avenue. He uses science. I mean, he uses, you know, social and, 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 and popular media. He uses TV. I mean, just whatever. You, I can tell you thousands of things he uses to nurture that doubt. And here's one of the biggest things is he uses the bad things that happen in our lives to make us doubt. Anybody ever notice that? Because he knows we're self-absorbed. He knows that it's all about us. He knows that. No matter how righteous we act, we are all have this selfish streak in us. And when something bad happens to us, have you ever asked the question, why would God allow that to happen to me? I'm a believer. I go to church. I sing the songs. I wear the stuff. I got the bumper stickers. Why me? I got the shirts. I got the bracelets. I've made Christian opportunists very rich. You know, why me? And then we get real self-righteous. Why not do it to some of those terrible people on, you know, like, and we start naming people off. You ever done that? You know, I had somebody ask me that one time. I won't say the name. They go, this is happening to me, and that guy's a billionaire, and his life's awesome. Why don't God let something bad happen to him? I'm like, well, aren't you spiritual? You know, but that's one of the things the devil does. Is he makes us question the bad things that happen in our life, and he's hoping that we will doubt God. Why did this have to happen to me? Right? And his goal is to make us think that when we come to church, when we read, when we pray, all the things that we're learning, all the things that we're seeing, he's wanting us to think, yeah, that's kind of like Santa Claus. It's cool to believe in. It's not really true. Sorry, Kevin. It's not really true. You know, that's what he wants. He wants us to think that God and all of God's promises, all the prophecies, he wants us to think that that's all fairy tales. That's what he wants us to believe. Right? And, and what we have to remember is he wants us to have that darkness, that doubt in God for a reason. You see, the devil's not stupid. He's not weak, and nobody here can beat him by themselves. No one. I don't even want to try. You know, one thing that made me, I'm just going to throw this in, but there's one thing that made me kind of happy, and this is sad. When I found out that the devil can't be everywhere at once, I was stoked. I mean, he can send his demons out and stuff, right? But, but, 
I was thinking, I don't ever want to go one-on-one with him because his demons are just kicking my butt. You know, I don't ever, I'm not important enough, thankfully, for him to come after himself. He's like, oh, Mosley, send somebody else. Right? None of us are, are, are powerful enough to defeat him. And, and being smart, he knows what that doubt can do. He wants us to have that doubt for a reason because he knows that once we stop doubting and start seeing through eyes of faith, once we start looking at things the way God told us to look at things, he knows that we become powerful. You know the difference between Moses and any other believer? Eyes of faith. He looked at situations and believed what God told him to do in those situations, and God did powerful things, not because Moses was powerful, but because he was looking through eyes of faith and God was powerful. He believed what God was telling him. He knows that when we feel that, that power of his presence, that God can really use us. God uses people who really believe what he says and depends on, on what he says. And when he uses us, he can change the world with us. We can make such a huge impact just by seeing through eyes of faith and believing. And it's so important that you understand that. The doubt and the, and the lack of understanding that they had, the enemy was helping with that. Right? He doesn't want us to be as powerful as God designed us to be if we would just stop doubting and seeing through eyes of faith. It, it seems harder, you know, than I'm making it sound, but realistically, the easiest thing in the world to do is to just let go and let him take control. I mean, what can you change anyway? And when he does, it just makes you a powerful person. Let's move on. So we see now that Mary is going to go back to the tomb. When you read the different accounts, the timelines look like, you know, all the, you know, when Mary spoke with the angels, I'm sure you guys know what I'm about to read, that it happened before she went and spoke to him, but it, it appears now that she actually went back to the tomb. Okay, because she was so, you know, traumatized by this. So let's look at John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. It says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. uh, And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head uh, and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, woman, you know what? I think that's a God thing. I think that's how we're supposed to address women. Hey, woman? No, I'm just kidding. That's not eyes of faith. That's eyes of death wish. Right? And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, this first encounter, there's two very important encounters she has here that we're going to talk about, are two very important encounters, and the first encounter is with these two angels. Now, there's something I want you to remember. Angels are a completely different creation than us. If you read in the scripture, they are a completely different creation. All right, and the reason I say that is when we die, we do not become angels. And I know that's a very comforting thing to say, and I'm not dissing that, but I'm just saying we do not become angels. It's a different creation. We become something better. Because, see, the angels never got to see the love of God put on display on the cross where he would die to make sure we were redeemed. That's something the Bible tells us they don't even understand, right? We are, when we die, we become the redeemed of God, saints redeemed by the blood of Christ. We become something more powerful. So when I tell you we don't become angels, I'm not saying that to belittle you. I'm telling you don't demote yourself to an angel when you die because you are the redeemed of Christ. Of Christ, that's a very powerful, powerful thing that you become. We are not 
floating around playing harps. Where did that come from? Does anybody know? Where, I mean, I get that, you know, some of the seraphim had wings and stuff, but where does it come from? You know, every time a bell rings. That's sad. But we have this vision of angels as people with wings flying around playing harps, and oh, we're, gonna, we're not going to be angels. We're going to be better. We're going to be better than that. Right? So I want you to understand that up front. So angels, the one thing that, you know, their creation understands is you don't doubt God. They know what he's capable of. They can't comprehend why anybody would doubt Jesus. Look at this, Luke 24, starting in verse 4. It says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. (laughs) I'm just going to let that go. In dazzling clothing. Uh, And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, these men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day, what? Rise again. You know, when people read that, I see them saying that differently than most people do. I don't see them saying that as a matter of fact. I see them saying that just a little bit condescending because they can't believe it. They don't understand. I mean, they're like, what are you doing here? I mean, they told us to come down here in case you came, but we didn't think you were dumb enough. We didn't think you'd really come. What are you doing here? Wait a minute. You didn't really think he'd still be here, did you? You, you really thought he would still be here? Remember, he told you he was going to be killed and then he would have to rise again. He told you that. I can just imagine them looking at him saying, you, you do know who he is, don't you? You do understand who Jesus is, right? He is the son of the living God. He is all God and all man. Do you know that everything you're afraid of, everything you cower from, everything that you worry about, do you know that he created it and he has power over it? Do you know that? Because if you knew that, why would you be here? Why are you here? There is no cross. There is no soldier. There is no government. There is no grave and there is no tomb that can defeat Jesus. You should know that. But you've allowed doubt to creep in. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You humans actually doubt him. What is wrong with you? That's the way I see that. Now, I mean, I know that seems cynical, but they don't get it. They don't understand how we could doubt God. So I think when those angels are there, that was kind of condescending. I can just see them talking to each other, and and they walk in the tomb. They go, whoa, hey, we didn't really think you'd come, you know? What are you doing here? This is how those angels see it. Their creation understands what ours hasn't grasped yet. He is God. What he says happens. Everything has to bow to him. On the earth, above the earth, and under the earth. Why would you doubt him? They understood that. Now let's jump back into John. John 20 Starting in verse 14. This is, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. This is her second encounter. First, it's with the two angels. Now it says, when she, had, uh, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, I don't know. I'm just saying. What do you think, woman? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, woman, 
why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now listen to this. Supposing him to be what? The gardener. Can you imagine the angels looking out of the tomb going, they think he's the gardener. Look at this. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have, <laughs> if you have carried him away, the angels are going, Sir, if you have, they see this as accusing Jesus of stealing himself. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Okay, so after Mary spoke with the angels, Jesus appears. Right, and he's standing right in front of her, and she doesn't recognize him. She literally thinks he's the gardener. Now, before you, we bash her too much, Jesus had supernaturally hid his identity from people before in the New Testament, and we will see that next week. We'll talk about that more. But he had, he's supernaturally hidden his identity from people. And, you know, there's all kinds of people that debate why. But I think we're overthinking this whole thing. Most likely, I think the reason he, did, he didn't immediately reveal himself to the people that he chose to do that, I don't think he immediately revealed himself because he wanted people to see how unspiritual they are when they're not looking through eyes of faith. He wants, he wants to ask a question or two so you can reveal how faithless you are in certain situations. Because he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, if you've taken the body and he's looking at her going, oh my God, you still think they took me. He wanted to, her to say it. And you'll see when he talks to the other people and hides his identity, he wants them to admit, hey, that's who you are without me. That's how smart you are. That's how astute you are. That's how perceptive you are. When you're not looking through the eyes of faith that I've given you, that's who you are. I believe that's why he does that sometimes, right? Then after he lets them see who and what they are, he calls their name. Because when he called her name, she immediately recognized him. And imagine everything that came flooding into her mind. Like the disciples now, she understood he had been resurrected. And evidently, I mean, she was very excited to see him because the next passage tells us, I mean, she evidently, you know, mobbed him and like embraced him and wouldn't let go. Let's look at this. John chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. (laughs) So he's saying, get off. Right? She's like clinging to him. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father. Now, in the, he- I mean, in the Greek, that's actually, I've ascended. I'm ascending. It could be used any one of those ways. All right, we'll talk about that later, too. Uh, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. You know, this is jumping into my mind. I pause for a second. What's the definition of an apostle? Anybody know? One cent. One cent. Anybody notice anything here? Was she sent by Jesus after his death? I'm not going to preach on that. Just gnaw on that for a while. Anyway, so... When he said, stop clinging to me, stop clinging to me, this didn't mean that he couldn't be touched, and this didn't mean that he didn't want to be touched. He loved Mary. I'm sure he wanted to embrace her. 
He was very close to her. That's, that's not what this meant. Okay, this actually kind of has a twofold meaning. The first, the first meaning is pretty common, and it makes sense. He's basically, he's basically saying, okay, okay, I love you too, but we, go, we both have work to do. You've you got to let go. And that's the first thing it meant. Okay? And the second thing it meant was, listen, don't cling to me like you're never going to see me again. Don't cling to me like I'm a man that has an ending. Remember, I'm going to ascend to the Father, my God and your God. And the embrace that you're able to give me one-on-one, by my doing so, by my ascending to the Father, anyone who believes will be able to have that same embrace with me one-on-one. So don't cling to me like it's going to be over and they might get me again. Like they might trap me again, like they might try me again, like they might crucify me again. I'm going to finish what I started. So let go, because I got to go to the Father, and I'll be back a few more times, but I'm going to finish what I started, and every man, woman, or child that will believe in me will be able to embrace me just like you did and have that same personal embrace that you have with me. That's the second meaning, and I think that's, I think that's so powerful. But there's another lesson here. I mean, you know, like Mary, when we lose track of our faith, we just lose track of God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever lost track of your faith, and I don't know why, and I'm not going to have you admit why. I mean, unless, you know, unless Kevin wants to, you can stand up and tell us why. But something happens in your life sometimes, and it shakes you. How many people has that happened to? Just had your faith rocked, right? And, and that's when decision time comes. Because when your faith is rocked, that's when the devil starts whispering in your ear. Remember what we talked about earlier? He's trying to access that dark part of you, that, that doubt. And he starts saying, why would God do that to you? Why? Is, is he really everything you read about? Because you go to church and you read the Bible and you don't kill people. And you're going through this? Where is God? They start attacking and sometimes when that happens, we listen. And we lose track of our faith. Right? And... and it happens more often than you think and more subtly than you think. Right? It happens. And there are, there are times that we don't even recognize it, but how many of you have ever all of a sudden had that moment of clarity where you go, I haven't even looked to him. I haven't been reading. I haven't been praying. What has happened to me? I haven't felt him near me. I've been distracted. You know that moment of clarity where, where you're excited because you know where you need to go, but kind of ashamed because you wish you hadn't been there where you're at now? You know what I mean? That, that moment of clarity happens, it happens, and sometimes it happens easier than we think. Like I said, when something bad starts happening to you, here's when you know you're starting to take your eyes off Jesus. is when you start looking for solutions that don't include him. You ever done that? Start looking for solutions that don't include him. And you'll know because you'll excuse that. I've talked to people before and they go, well, I am just going to leave him. And I go, you really don't have a reason to. I mean, you guys could work this out. The Bible says, I know what the Bible says, but not right now. I've literally had people tell me that. I'm like, oh, okay, he's not God for the next however long you decide. All, all of a sudden you're right and he's wrong. That's how subtly it can happen. Our anger can take us there like that. Our hurt can take us there just like that. And the next thing you know, we're trying to do it on our own, and you turn around, and Jesus is invisible to you, and you wouldn't recognize him if he were standing right beside you and talking to you. You wouldn't recognize him because you are no longer looking through eyes of faith. 
Doubt has taken over. Darkness has taken over. You know what I mean? So before we get too hard on Mary, I mean, think about this. There's probably been several times in all of our lives when we've just allowed him to become invisible to us, and we wouldn't recognize him if he were eating dinner with us. That's scary. And that's one thing, you know, if you take nothing else from you, every day make sure you can still see him. Every day make sure you can still feel him. Every day make sure that you and him are still able to embrace. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. That's foolish. I'm talking about losing that personal fellowship with him where you're walking together. Check that every day. And here's the thing I want you to remember. If you look to Jesus, no matter what's going on, I know that the enemy whispers something totally different in your ear. And if you're struggling right now, he's saying, don't listen to that balding, redheaded guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But listen, if you're struggling, I don't care what is happening. If you will look to Jesus and not doubt and trust him to be who he says he is, you will find the answers you need. You will get through it in his time. And if he doesn't pull you out of it right away, it's because he wants to teach you something you need to know before he pulls you out. You know what I mean, parents, when we, when we teach our kids lessons, we could help them quicker, but we don't so they can learn from it. You know? Sometimes he doesn't do things on our time because we just want to get out. We don't want to learn. He wants you to get out and never be there again. Look to him and wait, and you'll find him. You'll see him in every situation right when you need him. And when you can do that, then you're able to see through your eyes of faith. One thing we can see from this lesson today is that even the disciples, even those faithful women, when they weren't looking at their situation with faith, they were lost. Listen, I don't ever want that for us. Now, there's so much more I need to cover, but I don't have time. We're going to go ahead and pick that up next week. I'm going to ask you, Wood, to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation. And what that means, we're not going to have people come down front. We're not going to make you, you know, go through classes. Right? Not sign anything away. We just want to give you an opportunity to take a first step. And what that means is we just want to pray for you. If you bow your heads and keep your eyes closed, I know what it was like to be sitting in those seats and, and feel like the preacher was just talking to me. I know what that feels like. And I'll never forget when he said, if you want me to pray for you, just, just lift your hand or make eye contact with me. And that's what I did. And something clicked in me because I finally admitted, my gosh, I'm doing this alone. I, I need you, Lord. And something changed. So if you'd like me to pray for you, you're not sure where you stand, just make eye contact and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. I'm going to pray for those people. If you're listening or watching online, God knows your heart. But listen, I, if you feel something moving in you when you hear his word, then he's calling to you. Believers, I want to pray for us. I say this every week but I'm afraid for the body of Christ because I think people are less and less looking through the eyes of faith. I think we're starting to view church as a business, which it is, but we forget that the CEO is God and his plan is perfect. And, and sometimes I think the world panders to that darkness, that doubt in us so much 
that it takes the power he wants us to have through faith away from us. And I just don't want that for us. I want us to actually look through those eyes of faith again. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I'm amazed at your love. I'm amazed at your grace. I, 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 I can't believe that you love us, and I can't believe that you were willing to sacrifice your only son so that we could have eternal life free of charge, something we do not deserve and never will. I thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to be the spotless lamb of God, willing to die on my behalf, to take my stripes. Lord, if, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I just pray that whatever's holding them back, that clear that from their mind and let them see the love and the passion and the dedication and sacrifice that you were willing to put on display for us. Let them remember that the work is done and all they need to do is trust that what Jesus did was enough and you've promised them eternal life. If they can make that decision, I just pray they contact us or, or a good Christian person that they know or a good Christian organization near them so that they can find that family to walk with them. And God, if there's believers here who have been blinded with doubt, who have been distracted by doubt, let us see again. God, let us start looking through the eyes of faith, believing your word, knowing your word, reading your word, applying your word, and expecting you to do what you say you're going to do. Let us see through those eyes of faith again, God. Make us the powerful creation you designed us to be so that we can change this world. God, we ask that you'd go with us as we leave here. Keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that you'd let us come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.